Welcome to episode 770 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Good evening, sir. How are we? Nobody will know. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was no first try. This is, <laughs> this is it. I was doing so well, but then my dog stepped on a bee. <laughs> you hate it when your dog uh, steps on a bee. It's interesting to see how many people get that reference. <laughs> Who's been keeping up with the uh, Johnny I Depp? I was. Heard? I was keeping up with the Amber Heard Johnny thing, but I hadn't heard that one until you told me about it tonight. Yeah, I saw it the other day. It popped up on my Facebook. I thought it was hilarious. If you uh, want to see it, just go to YouTube and just type in um, Amber Heard um, B TikTok or B meme. Yep. And it's yep. just all these people who are just taking the mickey out of out of her, which I, I mean, she fully deserves. I've got to go pee. My mum's stuck up a tree. I busted my knee. <laughs> uh, got to laugh, don't you? It's certainly entertaining, so she must be an uh, actress. You can't do anything else with that information. You have to laugh. <laughs> it, the whole thing is just, uh, just a It's a farce. Yeah. Even the judge is fed up. The judge booted one of the lawyers out yesterday. She's like, no, I'm done with you. Get out. You know what they should have is when she goes up on the stand, the judge gets out knitting needles and just... Yeah, you two just go off and do your stuff. I've got to knit one pearl, what two. They need to get the um. They need to get the the uh nun out of um Blues Brothers, and every time she she lies, just whack. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, whack! Do not take the God whack. She'd be there all night. <laughs> At least it'd be entertaining. It'd be yeah. After all the time she's been saying that uh, Johnny's been beating her up, get the judge to do it. That's uh, what it's really like. Yeah, you want to, you want to be beaten here, you go. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, yeah, so we didn't have a show last week. Turns out that I contracted the COVIDs and still getting yeah, over it. So I've got a bit more of a cough still going on now and then. Any excuse. <laughs> yeah. So I've been getting into though, we've been getting into doing some modding for Minecraft. I've been inventing some funky new furnaces and working out how to use M Creator, which I only yeah, discovered, just... which has had its tenth anniversary. <laughs> and I only just discovered that it exists and it's kinda like programming using Scratch where you get the little puzzle pieces of code and you plug them in and join them together, like how you teach kids to do other coding, but I mean, I've programmed in Java before. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. Um, <laughs> I did the the um, plugin called Insanity Run, which is like Temple Run, where you run around a track in um, and it's in Minecraft, and it's had over like ten thousand downloads over the last six years or however long ago I made it, and um, so I can do stuff in Java, but. This just makes it a bit easier because you can design the textures for your blocks in mCreator and then you just create the code by plugging the things in after watching videos. On it's, It's got specific mCreator ways of doing it. So even mm. if you know how Minecraft does it, doesn't mean that it's just straight going to translate. So you need to watch the videos and find the caveats yeah. and then what can go in what slots and say this can't go in there and that can go in there and then you put a uh, hopper underneath and it sucks everything out and you go, well, I didn't want that. So then you have to tell it which one's not to take stuff out of that you didn't want to go. 
And then uh, I think the problem with MCreator, like I've heard about it for a long time, but it's pretty much always only advertised itself as an education tool. Like it always says, you know, if you're part of a school or a, yeah. you know something like that, then hit us up, you know, and you can you can access it. But it's sort of never been touted as just publicly available. Although it always has been. Yeah. Um, the way they always marketed it was it's 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 aimed for education and schools and stuff like that. So I've never actually bothered to look at it, but kind of wish I had it. The, the main, it was only developed by one guy for a while, and then he's like, I don't have time to do this. So he open-sourced it and let other people take over. I think he's doing some and other people are joining in, so it's not all just him by himself, which is good. Mm. Uh, a couple of times he's like, I don't have time to do this anymore, so I don't expect to have any more MCreate. But I think because at the start it was really basic, so people were deriding it all the time going, oh, don't tell me you made a mod in MCreate. You must be a really crap programmer or whatever. That doesn't mean that, you know, I can program crap in Java just as crappy as I can do it in MCreate. But mm. just because you're using a visual thing to do something faster doesn't mean it's bad. It comes out with good stuff. You can put your particles and the sound effects and create your yeah. own stuff. So I mean, at the end of the day, where do, you, where do you stop taking shortcuts? Because if you think about it, Java is just a version of QBasic and QBasic is just an upgraded version of BASIC and BASIC is just an upgraded version of machine language. I mean, <laughs> at what point do you say, well, you, you, you know, these shortcuts aren't working? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. It, it's it's sort of it's one of those things you've got the people i mean i remember back in the day when i uh, started programming duke 3d levels and you're using you know ken's build 3d yep. and it was the program that they actually built the game on and they added it to the cd so you could build your own levels and stuff but you could do like there's a lot you could do aside from that you could add your own graphics and add your own sprites and add your own bits and pieces as well but Almost nobody did because that wasn't how it was designed to work. You you could make a level better by adding other stuff, but yeah. you just use what the program limit the limitations on the program were. And if you needed to do something a little bit obscure, you could hack you hack the program a little bit to make it do things it wasn't supposed to do. But even though everything that you did was technically just a glorified text file. There's absolutely no reason you couldn't just go through and edit the level literally with a text editor. You could do that. Yeah, just because. Um, and that's actually how. I was say that's originally actually how some of the secrets were found because people literally went through the text file and found the secret. <laughs> so just because you can do it a really hard and complicated way doesn't mean you have to do it the hard and complicated no, way. I mean, if you wanted to go too hardcore, you would have to tell people that you're not going to play their game because it was written in Unity. Yeah. Right. Or Unreal yeah. Five Engine, or something like this. I mean, yeah. how how far do you go in saying the the interface I mean, the is too engine, simplistic, so it's going to be crap, whatever you make? It doesn't mean that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's actually a guy I was watching on YouTube the other day, and he's done the top five most expensive games on Steam. Yeah. And they're like, you know, several hundred dollars, and they're garbage. They're one level. They're, some of them are made with Unity Personal Editions. They're not even the licensed yeah. game dev version. And, you know, they're absolutely appalling. There's one where you literally... Um, it's like a Street Fighter ripoff. Yeah. And the only control you have is left and right and up and down. 
when you get close to an enemy, it automatically kicks the enemy. You don't even have to <laughs> do that. You literally just go left, right, up, and no down. Skill. And it walks to the edge of the screen, and then the enemies come from this side, and you walk over this way and you kick them, and then they come back from the- There's no points. There's no scoring. There's no lies. There's no nothing. Yeah. And this is like a $400 game that's had like 10,000 downloads. Uh, <laughs> people got too much money. You know, so just because you can do something well doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the best outcome. Yeah. And the other good thing is too, like, unless you know, as, as you said, unless you know Java, like inside out and back to front, by the time you look something up and figure out how to make something work, you could have had a working prototype already. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you could even so. just prototype the whole thing in mCreate or something. And then if it works and it looks good, then you could rewrite it in java could, if you're, you're that excited about java but you could just yeah i mean i know there's that, some, nobody's that excited about java i know there's some um mods i was reading where they did like 95 percent of it in creator and then like they had to do a couple of little obscure things that they couldn't quite do so they just wrote a little bit of code to to tidy yeah, that well, part of, create lets you do up. that you can click on yeah. edit code and it'll show you the code that it's automatically creating type in your bit, click on lock so it doesn't overwrite it if you change something, and then mm. you've got the best of both worlds. Yep. yep. That's it. And you haven't got a package it as a sprite or whatever because it does it all automatically. Adds the sounds, adds animations, adds lighting, adds textures, adds, you know, something whatever you want. I found out about it. I, made, I make a block for the furnace, and then I create some code, and then I create the triggers that block has based on what the code is and stuff. And like to, to animate the images, they don't have image animation. You do it manually with bits mm. of code, uh, with procedures, they call it. And then I had like for the flames, I had for animation for the first furnace insert, flame zero, flame one, flame two, flame three. And that would just animate through whichever depending. And then I did... <clears throat> Flame one 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 two one three one four uh, one three for the next um, slot across, and then flame yeah. two zero two one two. And I was like, well, now it's all getting mixed up because when it does it alphabetically and shows you the procedures, you've got flame zero, flame one, flame one one, oh, yeah. flame one two, flame one three, yeah. flame two. So I was like, well, let me delete the single ones and I'll just do change from flame zero to flame zero, 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 one, zero, two. So it'll be, and so I deleted all those and then it goes, Oh, hang on. You know, this is referenced somewhere else in your code. If you delete this and then try and publish it, it's not going to work. So it's warning you ahead of time that you just took out something that's important in your code and you have to put it back in. I'm like, yeah, I know I did that on purpose. So you just go, it says, here's your options. You want us to take you to the workbench? Do you want us to show you the code? Do you want us to do nothing? It's like delete, do nothing, delete, do nothing, delete, do nothing. Put it all back in again, and then I it says, oh, you're missing it. So I open up the block, and it goes, oh no, hang on, this is there. You just hit save again, and it goes, oh, I see you changed it, so I just updated. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. They do say though with that, um, you save it a lot apparently because yeah. <laughs> It has a habit of crashing and then it has a habit of not saving correctly sometimes. So you don't just save. I'm really bad at this. I'll pick a file name and I'll just save over the top of that file name a million times. 
And I regret doing it every single time I do it, and yet I still do it every single time. <laughs> I do that for this, but I'm also syncing it up to GitHub, so GitHub, if I screw yeah. up anything, I can get it back from there. Well, yeah, because yeah. it automatically uh, serializes it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so because I think it works off what the date and time or something, and it just adds that. Yeah, every commit. Yeah, so that's that's um, when I play. Um, if if you're on top of things like you should be, you put in a comment as to what you changed or fixed. So you go yeah. commit to GitHub. It's got put in some text. So you go uh, made the flames on the first two slots animate correctly. Sync that up there. The next yeah. time you go on, did a bit more mm -hmm. code sync that up there and put a comment so then when you're going to review it later and you say oh I, I screwed up something i'll go back a step you read the comments and it'll tell you what you did at that step you're like oh that's the one that i want to go back to and we'll restart from there or whatever mm. it's very good yeah that that's something like <clears throat> i think i got in the habit of um saving over top wins I always used to incrementally save and I always used to give stuff different file names. And then I started playing games yep. like uh, Quake and, and Duke 3D and stuff. And you just had a quick save slot and you just press F6 to quick save yeah. and F7 to quick load. <laughs> and yes, you could go escape, save game, slot one, save game, slot two, save game. But you never did. No. <laughs> you just hit quick save. Like, and uh, I think that... that Take you out of the immersion. That snuck itself into the um, into my workflow for, for normal operations, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Even with a text document or I'm doing a Word document or something, I'm, I'm so bad. I'll, I'll have 14 documents that are called, you know, brochure or card or advertising. I, <laughs> I don't. Like, final version, again, really, like, really final. This is the <laughs> best note. <laughs> and then I'll, or I'll, and I'm like, why have I got 12 files named business card? And you click on that one, it's like, no, no, no. I must be the most recent one. No. No. <laughs> like, yeah, don't don't be like me. Uh, I tell you what, though, here's going to be interesting over the next few days. Apparently, for the next three days, our top temperature is going to be 13. And down to about Sounds 8 like or 9 Newton. overnight. I don't think we've had. We got flooded in last Thursday afternoon. Yikes. I like how I yep. just made it home and then the roads closed. Thursday, Friday, and most of Saturday we were flooded in. And then Sunday, it had a couple of showers, but it went down enough. I got to work Monday. Um. Tuesday morning or Tuesday was actually a sunny day up until about three o'clock. Then the clouds come over, and then we had fifty-eight mil in an hour. Yikes! <laughs> so that brought everything back up again. I was on my way home when that hit, and I got stuck in pretty well. I didn't get stuck. I drove through some really deep water because you couldn't see it. You don't. Your was, um, your building doesn't have any problem with flooding. It's not down the hill or anything. No, we're up on top. Okay. Um, but my sheds went under in February, and I'm still waiting for the insurance. <laughs> um, they we just had fast water come through, like a two inch sheet, a two inch wall of water just came through the whole backyard, through the sheds, through everything. Um, it was just the water just couldn't get away. We had, I think, we had a hundred mil in fifteen minutes or something. Jeez. 
and it just yeah a little mini tidal wave of water just come through and and so we're still waiting on insurance for that and that's from february yeah <laughs> i haven't heard much about um more in that lately uh they're on the road to recovery they've had a couple of showers but nothing major um they're starting to open back up again but they still have doing there with their homes still a major housing shortage but yeah i mean they're resilient bunch they're pretty right um it's not too bad there's still a lot of housing like um a lot of people are still either in ballina or evans head in emergency housing um because they still haven't got or temporary temporary emergency housing like some of them are in caravans and um, they bought in, I don't know it was like 300 motorhomes or something and parked them in the showgrounds. Yep. Um, some emergency accommodation there and stuff like that, but the, there's still not enough because so many places got wiped out at the same time. There's still a massive shortage in, um, accommodation, yep. but there's also a massive shortage in, not only in the labor like the builders and sparkies to actually process the places that need to be done there's a sh- there's a material shortage as well yeah. because so many places like norply and and bunnings and a lot of the places that are required to get materials were either isolated or damaged so yeah, couldn't help you. um there's a guy in our uh, business complex who does a lot of flat pack assembly and kitchen assembly and stuff like that and he's noticed the quality of the chipboard has just turned to crap in the last couple of months because they can't get good quality stuff it's all done with cheap and nasty stuff and just the humidity in the air is enough to make it warp yeah so it's just you know the air was that thick the other day when when we got that that 50 odd mil the air was that hot i guess that not only was it a super thick rain wall like to drive you can hardly see it was also fog coming up so the visibility was was not the fog was three foot high or everywhere so you had a three foot wall that you couldn't see below so you couldn't really see the road you could see sort of the red and white cat's eyes that was about it and the rain was that heavy you couldn't see in front of you anyway You, you you all you could see was your headlight reflecting back at you um so yeah so that was fun driving in that <laughs> Jeez. Um, it's one time i'm glad i got the electric van though um because it, it's effectively waterproof for short periods of time yeah. but i discovered one section of road that was under that i couldn't see it it didn't look at it at all because of the fog uh it was underwater far enough to go over my headlights oh jeez. like so and I'm, i got a van the headlights are a good you know, two, probably three foot at least off the ground, if not more. And I went through this water and it washed that, I like, basically turned my headlights out like it was over the top of my headlights. You didn't get up your exhaust pipe. <laughs> well, that's the thing with the V. Like, if that was the Commodore, it would have sucked all that water in because the water, the, the uh, air inlets under the bumper bar in those. So yep. going through water that deep would have just killed it instantly. And most vehic- most cars, anyway, not four drives and stuff, but most normal cars would have struggled with that just because of that exact reason. Go EV people. Uh-huh. So, I mean, they're not saying that, you know, it's not like you can send them swimming for long term and get away with it, but for short, you know, for 
a couple of minutes at least. They're, they're at least waterproof enough to, to forward most situations. Yeah, we know what happened when the Simpsons tried out an EV car and they went down in the water, underwater, and then they got hit by an electric eel and it came back up and the car nearly fell apart. And then Homer was like, oh, we changed our mind. <laughs> I don't remember that one. You didn't see that one? No. Oh, you have to yeah, check out when the Simpsons... Test, they did a test drive of an EV, and they were becoming okay. popular. And Homer's like, it's okay, it's an EV. And instead of going across the bridge over the river, he went down to the bottom and drove <laughs> along the bottom of the river in the water. And the, all the <laughs> things starts falling to bits. So they get shot by an eel and come back out the other side. The whole car's falling apart and rusting, and they drove it back. And Homer's like, yeah, we changed our mind. We don't want it after all. <laughs> There's a guy on YouTube called Uncle Chet. He... He's eccentric bugger, but uh, he took his Tesla and, and drove it through um, like 10-foot deep water. Yeah. Like they wanted to see if, if it could do it. So they made this controlled, submergible section. I think it was like 100 foot long or something and like 10-foot deep. Yep. And, yeah, he set it all up and they had to end up putting a whole heap of weight in the Tesla because it kept trying to float. <laughs> so they weighted it all down so it wouldn't float. And yeah, you drove through underwater from one side to the other. and No problem. Yeah. <laughs> you ever, you ever see I, those, those videos where they've got it, a rushing river going across the water and some dude's like, my car's very heavy and made of steel and stuff. I'll just drive through here. And then he floats yeah. down the river You're like, steel car shouldn't be floating. I should be fine. I hope he goes out to sea. Bye. When we were doing a lot of forward driving and, and off-roading and stuff, um, the rule of thumb was if you can't walk it, you can't drive it. Yep. Um, because you've got so much surface area on a vehicle, yes, it will become somewhat buoyant. It will eventually fill with water and sink, but initially it's quite buoyant. And you've only got four contact patches. You've only got the four tyres touching. Yep. Um, so basically if it's the water can deep enough so... So say it comes up to, now depending how high your vehicle's lifted, but let's say the water comes up to your knees. Well, if you if that height is is higher than where your door line and your sills and everything are, then you've got that whole force of water pushing the car. Yeah. So Even you've got, right, yeah. No, you're getting out sideways. So the, the rule of thumb is if you can't walk it, you can't drive it. Yeah. Um, but I used to get annoyed when they would close the roads with an inch of water over the roads and put a big road close sign up. <laughs> and technically, you can't drive through that legally. And yet, I've just come from a four-wheel drive track where I've driven through three foot of water. <laughs> like, you know, like, let me decide whether or not I can drive through that. Yep. <clears throat> I get it if you've got a little, you know, a family car or whatever. Yeah, okay, sure, maybe, but... But even then, I've put Commodores through a foot of water without a problem because, well, I know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't just plow into Jersey it and hope for the best. No. So I get why they do it, but at the same time, you know, let me make the call on whether or not my vehicle is capable. Because I remember in the, the 2011 floods, yeah. so many cars had gone underwater and, you know, and were just damaged from the flood. A lot of us who had four-wheel drives were early responders because we were the only ones who had vehicles that could get through low water and really thick silt and crap that's on the road. And like, I remember helping out for the first two days, just just clearing roads and stuff because we had four-wheel drives and we could get through. Yeah. And yet we we're the ones who, you know, we're getting in trouble when we're trying to go and help people. Yeah. 
Jeez. You know, they're like, oh, you know. Like that kid that was in a tinny saving people in the Lismore floods. Yeah. No, you don't have exactly. a license. You can't save people and help them. Well, you're yeah. not going to. That's we it. Might I mean, have my four arrest you. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's, they, they threatened me with that. I mean, my four drive wasn't registered at the time. And, like, well, I said to them, I said, fine, just, you know, send me the, send me the, <laughs> just send me the fine. They're like, oh, your vehicle's not registered, doesn't have plates on, we don't know who to send it to, and it's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> you want to fine me, you send me the fine. I'm not telling you I am. <laughs> you need to figure it out. <laughs> my name is Clive Palmer. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, help, I'm not making, offering my information so that you can do your job incorrectly. That's not my problem. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we do some news? Yes, so we actually have some this week. It's oh, been a relatively decent week. <clears throat> Google announced several new gadgets during its I.O. developer conference, including its long-awaited Pixel Watch, a new budget Pixel 6a phone and headphones. It also <clears throat> teased its flagship Pixel 7 phone, which is coming this fall and is said it's working on a new tablet. Hardware isn't a key part of Google's business, but it appears to be changing as it continues to launch new products. Google generated $61.24 billion in advertising revenue last quarter, while its other revenue segment, which includes hardware sales, apps, and non-advertising revenue, generated $8.16 billion. But that increased from $6.67 billion in the year ago quarter, and CEO Sundar Pichai said the Pixel smartphone hit an all-time sales record despite supply constraints. The Google Pixel Watch offers features similar to the Apple Watch. Uh, Apple Watches and sports a refined and sleek look that could appeal to customers who use Android instead of the iPhone, which it doesn't work with. It will integrate Fitbit's technology, allowing it to pull on years of research and development from the fitness startup it acquired last year. The Fitbit tech will let users track their sleep, heart rate, and workouts. The watch runs Google's Wear OS software. Yeah. I got Fitbit. Yummy. <laughs> Yummy. Don't swear at me, son. <clears throat> the watch runs Google's Wear OS software that lets users do things such as check messages and download music. <coughs> users can also get directions with Google Maps or connect it with their smart home devices so they can, for example, change the thermostat temperature or make sure the lights are turned off. The company didn't provide a price aside from telling reporters in a call that it'll be a premium price product and it'll be available in the fall, which no doubt is our spring. Previously, yeah, other probably that. Yeah. Previously, other companies such as LG, Samsung, Huawei, and Fossil built watches using Google software. As the name suggests, it's Google's take on a smartwatch with a round face design and a side dial. Google said it's constructed of recycled stainless steel and will ship with a 4G LTE option when it arrives. Yeah, well, mine's round. You're going to be sticking with the Xiaomi. Well, I just got this is the new one. Um, this is the what they call the um, Fitwatch S1, I think it's called. Um, it's this one was 250 bucks, but that was because this is the aluminium, uh, the stainless version. They do a plastic version, which is exactly the same hardware, it's just a plastic case instead of a stainless case. It's 160. Um, it's got so much stuff. The main thing is heart rate and O2 sensor, but it's got so many different exercises and sleep monitoring. 
um, all that sort of stuff. Basically so many different all the same stuff as the stuff. Google and Fitbit stuff, but a quarter of the price. Yeah, and the other thing it has is it has obviously you change the display and you can do all this stuff with it. But the other thing it has is it has um, two dedicated processors. It has one dedicated processor that just runs the clock and like the timer and stopwatch, like all those associated functions and the graphical interface. And it has another dedicated processor just to monitor the heart rate, the O2 levels, like the the exercise part of it. So you don't get lag and catch up in one or the other processes. Oh, that's great. Um, and then when you're Bluetoothing it'd be your phone to sync the data, you know, you're not affecting the watch by doing that. Or if you're playing with other parts of the watch, you're not affecting like so you can have um, you could be doing exercise but on your phone you could be playing with watch faces, for example, and it won't affect yep. the exercise monitoring because they're on separate processes. Um, it's got six gig of storage if you want to put mp3s and stuff on it um you can hook a set of headphones bluetooth headphones up to the watch so if you answer the call on your phone you can actually it has a microphone speaker in your watch so you can actually talk through your watch but you can also put a set of headphones linked to your watch so that you can talk on your headphones uh bluetooth headphones or if you want to listen to music and you press the standard radio app, for example, plays through your phone. But if you've got the Bluetooth linked to the watch, it'll play through the headset. Ah, or if ah. your MP3s you've uploaded to the watch, it'll play through your headset. And it's actually will even it actually supports um, video playback, so you can actually put MP4s onto the watch, and you can watch videos and listen to them on your headset from your watch, so without your phone even present, because it works independently. It has a Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connection separately on the watch so it will do anything it can access that doesn't need your phone for <laughs> does it uh, have google assistant it uses alexia Perfect. um That's well what i don't fitbit I used to do originally and now google bought fitbit you can have either of them on your watch yeah well it doesn't have it has yammer's own interface it doesn't have a, a google interface on it oh. um it's neat and tidy, like it's a fast interface. It's the same one they use on a lot of their other watches. But I looked around, hunted around for a couple of weeks and did some research. And, and in the end, I decided, you know what, I'll just I'll get this one because there is a, there's one called a T-Rex or something, which is the level up from this one. Um, and it's like 400 bucks, but it really only did one or two things that this one doesn't do. And they weren't something I was really interested in anyway. Um, so, but the app it comes with, like, Obviously, it uploads all the all the data to the app, so you can track everything and, and all that sort of stuff. So you've got a log of everything. Yep. Um, Speaking and, of yeah. Alexa, I was reading somewhere recently, and this person had said they were watching a old movie, and there was a lady in there called Alexa, and this uh, friend of hers is something like, "Oh, Alexa, I'm sorry, I called you a stupid bitch," and then their device in the lounge room lit up, and she goes, "Oh, that's all right, don't mention it." <laughs> <laughs> Well, unless there wasn't someone in the movie called Google, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I could do so Aussie Broadband, the the NBN that we know and love, the best. Um, in the three months to March, Australia's trio of major telcos all saw their wholesale market share fall by around 0.3 percent, uh, with Aussie Broadband and the rest of the small players picking up. 
Telstra is, Telstra is still dominant, 43.7. Um, and then followed by TPG at 23.3 somehow. Is beating Optus at 13.9. Um, and then there's a couple of smaller ones. And Aussie Broadband is 6.1. So they, they're, you know, they're starting to, to get pick up from self. Um, for the line speeds, NBN's second best 100 meg plan. The 120 home fast is closing in on becoming the second most popular plan. Um, 4.8 million premises are now on 50-20, just shy of 200,000 users following 115,000 full fiber and 71,000 HFCs. Just over 1 million on the 25.5 uh, and 410,000 connections uh, and home fast is up 410,000 connections so to almost a million by the end of March cool um, the increase in home fast consists of 177 full fibers 190,000 HFCs and 20,000 fiber to the curb and 20,000 fiber to the node yeah. uh, connections quicker than home fast months most of saw customers leave the 140 plan had almost 25,000 customers leave. Um, the 25, the 250, 25 lost almost half of its customers. Uh-huh. And the 500, 1,000 ultra fast lost 16,000 to sit at 44,000. So it's their lowest, um, their lowest user is the fastest plan. Yep. So, um, but yeah, so basically, uh, <clears throat> the launch of um, what is it, the 5G or whatever it is now they're adding to that yep. I think that's probably going to affect that a bit as well because it's technically an un, un speed uh, restricted so right. it's going to be network dependent um, that may have many people on those same towers yeah so they just offer like Telstra's uh, making wholesale 5G available, but Boost is already offering 5G for 70 bucks a month per 28 days, but unlimited data. Um, but they don't give a speed for that. Yep. So it's going to change um, depending on you know bandwidth and all that. So even though this. And basically, the article goes on to say, well, I don't know how we're going to, you know, they just gave a breakdown of all the people that are on different plans. They're like, okay, so 5G, but it can literally cover all of those or none of those. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, they're going to have to just have 5G by customer and kind of the speed portion of it's, I guess, not relative. Well, it's, it is, but at the same time, they can't really track the speed. So it's sort of it's going to throw a bit of a spinner in the works in terms of their, um, you know, per capita, per speed sort of deal that they're doing. Yep. So we'll see. But, yeah, so Aussie Broadband's starting to, to pick up. So they're beating a lot of the, you know, Boost and uh, Virgin and Audi and Good. No, whoever <laughs> else is offering. I don't know who else is doing it, but, yep. um, yeah, there's really only three people ahead of them, so that's pretty cool. An official KDE Connect mobile client is now available in the Apple App Store. 
The addition of this official iOS apps means folks with an iPhone and or iPad can benefit from a deeper set of integration between their mobile devices and their Linux desktop. Features of KDE Connect for iPhone include shared clipboard, shared files and URLs to your computer from any app, virtual touchpad, presentation remote control, and run commands on your computer from your phone. The KDE Connect iOS app doesn't offer one-to-one -one feature parity with the Android client. This is, as you could probably guess, more to do with the limitations inherent in Apple's mobile OS than it is the ability of the part of KDE Connect's iOS developers. That said, there's nothing to stop others from getting involved to patch and support or whatever integrations are possible. And for those curious, the KDE Connect iOS app is licensed a bit differently to the Android app in order to comply with the App Store rules. Whether you're a fan of KDE Connect directly, i.e. on KDE, or make use of it through integrations on other platforms like GNOME Shell using GS Connect GNOME extension, using the official KDE Connect app is a must if you want to get the most from the tool. Yeah, I've got the um, GS Connect GNOME extension so I can see notifications from my phone and you can uh, type in responses to text messages and um, Facebook Messenger and whatever you want on your computer and it sends it through the phones. So that's pretty cool. I think I'm just trying to double check the following. Is I think it's, I want to say it's called AnyDesk. Yep. But I'm not 100% sure. I need to try and find it. But it's the same sort of thing. It literally, it's, it's effectively a docking station. And actually, if you plug your phone into the computer with USB 3, I see, um, it actually, you can physically use a keyboard and mouse in real time on the screen as well. Oh, nice. Like okay. you can actually use your phone as, as an extended desktop on the PC. You can drag windows across and stuff. Um, but the same thing, you can send SMSs and, and whatever from your phone. Make phone calls through the computer. Yeah. So you can, yeah, use the, you can do that. Basically with the Bluetooth connection you can and the Wi-Fi connection, you can do almost everything. Anything you can't do they don't recommend you do the keyboard and mouse over wi-fi because there's a lag oh, right. and the only the other thing i don't recommend it does work but they don't recommend you do is use the as a webcam um over wi-fi or bluetooth because obviously there's so much lag time latency so they recommend you use the USB-C. but yeah there's a few different programs now the one reason i think i went I th yeah i need to look it up it's not on this phone it's on a work phone um, the one reason I went with the one I did was it allowed file transfers like through File Explorer. Yep. You could go in there and you could, you know, chain back up, like grab your photos folded or whatever and upload and download stuff where I couldn't do with... I tried three or four or five of them really to find one that did what it said it was going to do. Yep. Um, but yeah, that KDE one I know has been around for quite a while. I used to use it. I can't remember why i stopped using it honestly maybe i just forgot about it and next time i search for <laughs> remote sharing software it came up with this other one and i switched to this other one <laughs> yeah mine's all wi-fi because i don't have bluetooth in my computer but everything seems to work fine for it mm. yeah wi-fi is i mean it's come a long way in the last as much it's funny as much as it hasn't changed it's also improved yeah <laughs> <coughs> it's kind of strange like that they still haven't. Bluetooth is still horrendous. It yeah, really is. It is. It's the worst connection standard. You've, That's we've why I don't got, use Bluetooth headsets anymore. Yeah, we've got the Square terminal at work. Um, and 
it links to the tablet. And the amount of times during the day it just goes, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no, there's no terminal there. It's like <laughs> you've got to go in and actually turn Bluetooth off, let it figure out that Bluetooth's turned off, then turn Bluetooth on, and then it reconnects. If you just try to reconnect the device, it just won't do it. <laughs> Bluetooth's still a horrible stand. I don't know. It probably, I mean, I don't have trouble using Bluetooth like headsets or connecting to the car. But if you try to do anything else, it just, it just doesn't work. The only thing I have with the car is you're supposed to, if you're listening to like a radio station through TuneIn or something streaming through VLC or listening to Spotify, the next time you go to the car and turn on, it should continue where it was. Mm. But it doesn't. I have to... You can press on, I've got the touch screen in the car and you can press on the play button. It'll say like the name of the band and song, but it won't play it. So I have to unlock my phone, launch Spotify, hit play, and then it'll go through there and then you can lock the phone and most of the time it's good then. But if you turn off yeah. the engine, you turn it back on again, it forgets what it was doing. It'll say, oh, you're listening to this song via Spotify Bluetooth, but I don't, I don't. You have to start on the phone first. With it, yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of that is to do with the fact there's really only majority one-way communication. Like the only two-way communication it gets is sort of the key press for play or whatever. It, it can't read the screen of the head deck to tell you what song it was up to when you last left. So it doesn't know. But I it, think it, that's, it, that's and, just an interface to the phone. You hit play on there, it tells the phone yeah. to play on what's currently there. That's the what I mean. Like this, know what it was up to. Yeah, assuming the app hasn't reset in that, or recached in that period of time, then I think that's that's part of the problem. Mm. Another thing is too, I don't think they do that because if you've got, like in my case, my phone connects to multiple Bluetooth devices, uh, a couple of different cars, um, a couple of different headsets, etc. So if you jump out of one car and hop into another car, you don't want, you may not necessarily want that same song playing. You know what I mean? So maybe they but do it I deliberately. Do. So, that it, <laughs> so maybe they do it deliberately so that it, it doesn't, it actually has to re, you know, you restart the process. Yeah. I mean, you could probably do that with, with Tasker or something. You could probably set it up so that when it recognizes the head deck, it starts playing. Yeah. Well, it works fine with the USB if you plug that in. It just continues whatever song it was playing before. Mm. But um, <clears> better two-way communication, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Bluetooth is horrible. <laughs> Get rid of the pirate. Arr. Uh So, Western Australia Health. So, they were in the news a couple of months ago for allowing the Western Australia Police to access the uh, the cloud system that they have. Um, but they've finished auditing um, what they call their focus, which somehow they get focus, P-H-O-C-U-S, right? <clears throat> Public Health COVID Unified System. That's focus. <laughs> I suppose so they couldn't there's... say focus. They might think it's a bit rude. There's an O somewhere that doesn't exist. But anyway, um, so focus is used within Western Australia to record and track and trace 
Positive COVID cases uh, contains personal information such as case interviews, phone calls, text messages, emails, legal documents, pathology results, exposure history, symptoms, existing medical conditions, medication details. It also has drawers information from the Safe WA check-in app, which, as the Auditor General found, West Australia Cops were, easy to ac- were able to access, as well as from flight manifest, transit cards, business employee and customer records, G2G border crossing pass data and CCTV footage. So this is all contained within the focus system. So the report found that Western Australia Health didn't use an encryption system on their publicly available focus system, nor did they have logging activated to see who was logging in, editing, changing and deleting records, Uh, nor did they have any sort of malicious activity tool activated to pick up on bots or brute force attacks or things like that. (laughs) Western Australia Health does not know if personal or medical information is inappropriately accessed. Following our audit inquiries, Western Australia Health advised us they've now implemented a process to monitor access, but have not implemented a process to log view access due to perceived system performance issues. The department also encrypted personal and medical information after the audit. <laughs> Increased data masking to all information is test environment and implemented file upload, deny list, and bought malware scanner online after the auditor general found potentially malicious files could be uploaded to the system. <laughs> I mean, like literally everything you could do wrong, they did. <laughs> I don't think they could have done it more wrong if they tried. We have to go for the cheapest vendor to do it the cheapest way possible. Oh, everything got breached. Well, but it gets even better. The report said that, or furthermore, the report said Western Australia Health third-party vendor who designed and developed the program after the public rollout never had their full access privileges removed. <laughs> So, the uh, the Western Australia Health said that the uh, this was assessed and balanced against the need to build the system quickly. Two administrator accounts were left over from a previous vendor, and vendor contacts lacked important security requirements. It's <laughs> a joke. The Western Australia Health said due to implementing four other COVID-related security systems or sec- four other COVID-related systems at the same time, these issues were appropriately managed and balanced development speed, quality, and resources demand. No breach of privacy has occurred as far as we can tell. But it probably did. That's because there's no logs being recorded. <laughs> How would you know? <laughs> If you don't log it, you can't say you were breached. <laughs> oh, dear. This demonstrates the robustness of the focus system. That the data is well secured. <laughs> Doesn't matter. No, it demonstrates the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Way to go, government. Mm. So yet again, government only has our best interests at heart. Yeah. Cheapest, nastiest doing. <laughs> In a post on its blog, NVIDIA announced the immediate release of open source GPU kernel modules for a crop of its current hardware. 
The move, it says, is the first step in a broader open source by the company aimed at improving experience of using NVIDIA GPUs in Linux. Canonical, backers of Ubuntu, plan to package the open kernel modules for use in the recent Ubuntu 2.2.04 LTS release in short order with other Linux distros set to follow suit. The new NVIDIA open source GPU kernel modules will simplify installs and increase security for Ubuntu users, whether they are AI ML developers, gamers or cloud users. Cindy Goldberger, VP of Silicon Alliances at Canonical is quoted as saying. As the makers of Ubuntu, the most popular Linux-based operating system for developers, we can now provide even better support for developers working the cutting edge of AI and ML by enabling even closer integration with NVIDIA GPUs in Ubuntu. Don't expect to see these modules upstream just yet, mine. NVIDIA says the current code base does not conform to the Linux kernel design conventions at present, but says it plans to work with the Linux kernel community to improve the situation. NVIDIA opened G NVIDIA OpenGPU kernel modules are hosted on GitHub. Should you want to download them, inspect them, or start contributing to them. Those with pre-Turing NVIDIA GPUs will have to stick with the existing binary kernel driver for now. And given the alpha status of the open source driver, those who do have compatible cards may wish to hold off using the open source driver until it's a little more robust. Customers with Turing and Ampere GPUs can choose which modules to install, pre-Turing customers will continue to run the closed source modules. Turing cards include the NVIDIA Quadro, GeForce 16 series and GeForce 20 series, and the Ampere cards are NVIDIA GeForce 30 series, NVIDIA Workstation GPUs and NVIDIA Data Center GPUs. NVIDIA has been working with Canonical, Red Hat and SUS for better packaging deployment and support models for our mutual customers. The published source code serves as a reference to help improve the Nuvo driver. Nuvo can leverage the same hardware of uh, firmware used by the NVIDIA driver, exposing many GPU functionalities such as clock management and thermal management, bringing new features to entry Nuvo driver. So if you see the um, NVIDIA 515 drive around you can give it a go but um <coughs> just be warned some people tried it out and uh drop them back to command prompt login only and they had to use um commands to manually purge the 515 drive and reinstall the older ones so it works for some it doesn't work for all of them but as i said it's in alpha but it's a other step in the right direction nvidia we might catch well, up to amd one of these days mr t <laughs> Well, they say um, Red Hat and Seuss, Susie. Yep, Red Hat, Seuss, and Canonical. So I'm not sure what Canonical is, but Red Hat and Seuss are primarily business orientated uh, commercial Canonical server, that Ubuntu. style stuff. Hey. Canonical runs Ubuntu. Okay, so I'm not really sure if Red Hat and Susie are actually your primary testing audience you should be concerned about. Well, um, <laughs> the thing they're with, not really the thing with this driver is not just for graphics; it's for AI and machine learning. It opens those up on the NVIDIA uh, card that was not yeah, available that's before. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and because that's what they would be used a lot for that. Uh, Red Hat's NVIDIA is the been, best ones if you want to do AI and machine learning, and uh, AMD is the best. Well, not if you had Linux. 
<laughs> that was only true. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. I still reckon that on the Linux platform, I still think the the ATIs and the AMD cards are the they can't compete still... with NVIDIA for AI and machine learning. It's all built oh, in the hardware. Oh yeah, I... NVIDIA is the only one that's got it built in the hardware. I don't know about Linux on though. I know on Windows that would definitely be true, but I don't know how that works. That even. I mean, don't get me wrong, this will get better. I'm just thinking with this early stage driver, I don't know if that would still be the case. I still think the AMD cards might be better at the moment. They're, they're really good for gaming and graphics and stuff, but AI and ML, mm-hmm. only NVIDIA has got it built in the hardware of the graphics card to do it. Mm-hmm. So, well, I know the other thing, the. Um, what is it reading somewhere? The. I can't remember where it was now. I've tried to find it. I was saying that this um, one of the new, it's a Japanese company who's done a lot of the um, uh, development on um, human behavior so much like, you know, the way the successfully walking on two legs thing and yep. you're not necessarily like the Honda Atmo or whatever it was, but like there's this third party company that does a lot of the software for them. And they were saying they've just recently switched over their entire operation to uh, Linux and, and AMD because they just, like, Windows ran out of talent effectively for them. <laughs> they've just changed everything over to, to AMD and, and Linux now. Yeah. Um, for what they do, it's not, I guess it's probably technically not um, AI in the true sense, but it does do a lot of machine learning because it's, but at the same time, it's it's uh, it's probably a lot of code as well. Yep. But yeah, they're saying that they they are having troubles with this one. Their latest site robot, they, it couldn't do this simple task it should have been able to do. Oh, and it was the limitations of the apparently the new Windows say switch to Windows eleven. I'm assuming, or at least well, they, they would have had to being a company. Um. And they're saying, yeah, it just didn't perform. They just couldn't get it to do what it was supposed to do. And so they test benched a couple of Linux systems and went, oh, this is quick. Let's <laughs> let's see if this helps. There wasn't it wasn't really a graphics loading, uh, a graphics thing. It was just lit, just literally system speed and yep. and and uh, you know caching and just this the the overall speed of the system required to, to do these calculations. So, which is funny because all their programming systems and stuff for all Linux anyway, but they were running, I guess that's why, as you said, because machine learning and stuff was built into the the, the Intel stuff by default. So, but yeah, I know I remember years ago when uh, um, Pixar and, and all that did the same thing. Yep. They all swapped over to... HP. To, yeah, they got away from Apple because... Apple went, hey, you're, it's going to cost you, you know, ten thousand dollars a computer now to do what you want to do, and they're like, uh, no, no, we're, we're good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll just use this really cheap and this really cheap software that's over here, and this really cheap software that's over here. Oh, we need to do something for that. Okay, we'll just develop that program ourselves because you know it's still cheaper than using you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it still happens. Doesn't happen as much, but it still happens. Yeah. Speaking of things that might happen, Elon Musk may lower his Twitter offer 
uh, as the addresses spam concerns again. Elon Musk has added extra spice to the Twitter buyout saga with the billionaire again commenting on his concerns regarding a number of spam accounts on social media site before claiming he could lessen his $44 billion offer. Twitter had previously claimed that fake or spam accounts made up fewer than 5% of its, mon- its monetizable daily active users during the first quarter. An estimate questioned by Musk, first reported by Bloomberg, the Tesla CEO on Monday told All Summit in Miami <clears throat> that if the bot and spam issue proves to be worse than indicated by Twitter, a deal at a lower price point would potentially be tabled. It really depends a lot on factors. I'm still waiting for some sort of logical explanation for the number of, of fake or spam accounts on Twitter. Uh, and Twitter is refusing to tell us. This seems like a strange thing. Mm. If you said, okay, I'm going to agree to buy your house, you say the house is less than 5% termites, that's an acceptable number. But if it turns out to be, if it turns out the right percentage is actually 90% termites, that's not okay. Must raise further questions over the legitimately quitters bot estimation, questioning whether the user experience reflects 95% legitimate user estimates made by a social media company. These concerns may well be founded as Spark Toronto and follow follower wonk follow follower wonk's joint analysis. Wow, <laughs> of forty four thousand fifty eight randomly selected active public Twitter accounts found that 19.4%, nearly four times what Twitter said in Q4, fit a conservative definition or a fake spam account. Twitter CEO yet again tackled the issue of spam in a thread of tweets on Monday, and a thread must respond to with a poo emoji. <laughs> and we claim one of the primary challenges associated with addressing the spam issue includes removing bot accounts without inadvertently suspending real people or adding unnecessary friction for real people when they use Twitter. None of us want to solve a capture every time we tweet. Fighting spam is incredibly dynamic. The, the adversaries, their goals, and their tactics evolve constantly, often in response to our work. You can't build a set of rules that are tech spam today and hope they'll still work tomorrow. They won't. The comments follow Twitter's firing of two top executives, uh, allegedly telling a departing employee that he hopes to take the team in a different direction, despite the company being on the cusp of a buyout. Meanwhile, Musk altered his alerted his followers on Sunday to news that Twitter had legal just called to complain that I violated their NDA by revealing the bot check sample sizes are 100. And this actually happened. <laughs> so, yeah, so he still wants to buy, but he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be paying that much for it. You guys kind of are really good at fudging your numbers. Yeah. They, you say you've only got 5% right bots. Hey? They pay top price for crap. Yeah, he's like, well, you say you've only got 5% bots, but then you come at me when I say that your sample size is only 100 users? Yeah, well, that, you, know, that, like, you need a nice round number like 100 because then you can test it, and then if there's 5, you can easily say 5%. It's very easy maths. If you've got 50,000 yeah. or 200,000 accounts that you want to test, that's very that takes a long time and it's very complicated, but 5 out of 100, and we just picked randomly... Uh, yeah, completely five good ones. <laughs> yeah, they're completely randomly not vetted at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sample only had five percent. Yeah, that's the right. Rest, we don't know. That's why he's, he's sort of calling it into question. He's like, well, hang on. If this is truly random, then why does nothing add up? Mm. <laughs> Either we've, we've you're lying about. 
you're either lying about the amount of sample size, the sample size, or you're lying about the amount of bot percentage. Like one of the two, one one of those two has to be wrong. Which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Email us Willow Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.